I'd like them to just stop with this whole point one nonsense. Yeah, why was the Ultimate Comics X Men point one not just another issue? I don't know. I, you know, I know they're like they're, they really enjoy double shipping, and I guess that was their way of. Uh, and I haven't read it yet because once I realized it was point one, I, I put it at the bottom of my stack, knowing that it wasn't something that I had to get read. I think they they really enjoy shipping more than one issue a month on a given title, and you know the point one allows them to do something outside of story continuity. In this case, it really was in continuity, and it yeah. focused a lot on the. Uh, the character with the pink hair that was a big part of uh, this latest issue. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like uh, Amazing Spider-Man 699.1 is essentially Morbius number zero. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like that one was uh, Venom number zero. Mm. Is there going to be a Morbius book? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, didn't know that. You know, we didn't talk about it since no one was here last week. I heard about it on the other comic podcast I listened to. I am just, sure. you know, I, my my head explodes a little every time Wayne talks about this other comics podcast. Oh, yeah. I sold a bunch of my uh, New 52 books that I didn't care for yesterday. Uh-huh. My uh, my wife put it on Craigslist, a, uh, a short box for 10 bucks. That's a lot of shipping, though. The shipping is more than 10 bucks on that. No, he makes them come oh. by and pick it up so that they can, you know, meet and touch each other swing <laughs> that, was the weird, that was the weird part usually they do just come by right we, all, we don't do shipping we only do local but this guy's like i want to meet at a fast food parking lot <laughs> and my wife's like he's afraid that you're going to do something terrible to him <laughs> my, my wife's like this email chain is kind of creepy i need you to make sure you're in ho- at home in time to come with me when we do this <laughs> <laughs> and when we meet the guy in the parking lot he seems really lonely and he just wants to talk uh uh, this is how he meets people by buying their comic books. <laughs> so is selling comics to local people really just an excuse for swinging? Is that really how you is. Meet other swingers? It's, it's the new key party. I'll give you Avengers if you give me new Avengers. It doesn't. It doesn't work well because it's only guys that ever buy the comic. <laughs> oh, just like many swingers clubs. <laughs> Why do I expect all of this to be before the uh, the music on the? I, I, I would never use this one. <laughs> I'm Aaron. I'm Polly. And this is Wayne. Did, did you really say let the magic happen before you started the podcast? I did. Let the magic happen. Is that your battle Polly cry? I am. <laughs> <laughs> the only magic I, I see here is a disappearing act. Where the yeah. hell is Andrew? Well, I declared a fatwa on Andrew this week, and my the agents of my jihad have uh, removed him from the equation, as it were. Also, William Paul. Also. <laughs> <laughs> so aaron sir n- now that you're on the terrorist watch list that's right <laughs> <laughs> why don't you tell us what uh what terrorist activities you were up to during your thanksgiving holiday well i spent a lot of time you know trying to build some uh ecum- ecumenical 
ecumenical dating sites and porn sites. So, you know, I had announced a couple of weeks ago that I was, I was inspired by ChristianMingle.com, so I set up BangAChristian.com. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, I, I want to, I want to make sure and, and, uh, you know, include my, my Arabic brothers. And so I, uh, I've also set up jihadis.com as well as burkabooty.com. So, you know, uh, you know, whether you're looking for a Christian or you're looking for, you know, uh, uh, something of, of an Islamic taste, you know, we've got it all here for you at ideologyofmadness.com. Is it wrong that after he said that, I have died to know if jihadis actually exist in <laughs> That was brilliant. I mean, if that name doesn't exist, you need to register it. What I, what I really think we should do is we should have a new podcast. Uh, a dating po- Well, I was, I was thinking Funny Boobs with Aaron and Polly. Funny Boobs. <laughs> funny Boobs. It, Hold on, it, let's do this all over again. <laughs> Call into the ideology of men is hotline, which has now become a dating hotline. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah. So I'm assuming you ate no turkey then, because you were too busy. Oh no, no, there's always time for turkey. We, uh, <laughs> we actually went up to uh, Broken Bow, Oklahoma, and uh, up up there in the Kaimichi Mountains, and uh, had no cell signal or internets whatsoever. It was it was hell. <laughs> well, you didn't really miss much other than a blackest night sale on uh or blackest Friday. Sale. Well, and and fortunately Amazon's uh Black Friday, you know, Cyber Monday deals kind of sucked this year. Cyber Monday typically sucks, but I got a lot of shit on Black Friday. Well, I uh I got back into town on Sunday and did a little bit of online shopping, but I mean there the there were not many deals to be had. That's because you weren't available on Friday when all the good deals happened. Yeah, but I read that the Amazon stuff wasn't very good this year. Tell me what. Well, you, uh, tell me you what you got that you thought was so stinking good, Paul. Well, it depends on what you. Uh, it depends on what you were looking for. I mean, I got a uh, like the new Sherlock Holmes movie or the newer Sherlock Holmes movie on Blu-ray for four bucks. You were able to get your complete season set of the Yo Gabba Gabba Blu-ray. No, but I did get season four of Fringe for sixteen bucks on Blu-ray. Yeah, but you can get that at Costco for the same price. Really? I yeah. got Super 8 for 4 bucks on Blu-ray. I mean, I got I, uh, most of my stuff was Blu-rays. I picked up some video games. Uh-huh. Um, so I, it was, I, 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 got, I found some good deals on movies and video games. I mean, I wasn't in the market for anything, really. So it was just kind of, let me look and see what's good out there, and plugged in a couple of hole, holes in my collection. Well, how about you, Wayne? Uh, we ended up with like three Thanksgiving dinners as usual, a lot of driving, a lot of dry turkey, <laughs> generally had a miserable time over the, uh, over the four day holiday kind of sucked. God, you are, you are the Scrooge of Thanksgiving. You know, and Thanksgiving <laughs> is my favorite meal. It's just, I've learned to really hate the holiday. <laughs> I enjoy the eating. Can't stand you people. <laughs> Pretty much. I don't like the family part of Thanksgiving. <laughs> I just like the food. Yeah, I, I didn't see any of my family at all. So it was uh, out of the three dinners, it was uh, one with one group of her family, one by ourselves at home, and then the other with another group of her family. Well, you know, you should probably just save yourself the trouble and just uh, go to Boston Market every once in a while alone and get the same experience. If there were only Boston Markets around here, I kind of miss them. Oh, They all shut down. For Black Friday shopping, we actually did a little bit of that. I uh, I found out that the local anime convention was having a Black Friday sale on their tickets, mm. so I, I bought them online, you know, to get an extra five dollars off per ticket. 
I, I wish Batman Live was having a Black Friday sale because we're, I need to buy my tickets for that. It's next weekend. You know, they, they have canceled uh, a number of their shows. Uh, post their Dallas show, which is here in, in uh, Dallas in December, uh, they've canceled a lot of their, their downstream tour dates. I wonder I if it's just not doing well. There's plenty of t- seats still available. Yeah. It's not even close to sold out. I can get into any section I want still. You know, when I was in Kansas, I mean, every other ad, was, every other you know commercial on television seemed like it was a Batman Live commercial. But yet in this market, I'm not seeing much advertising for it. And I wonder if maybe they shot their advertising wad a little too early. So it was, uh, it was actually kind of cool. We had a – they call them like vendor days, but basically it just means outside companies like Sam and Costco – set up a little room in the building that we're in at work yeah. and try to sell us stuff. Yeah. Well, wh- one of the things that, that was there was Batman Live. And they gave away these little flashlights. They're about the size of a laser projector. Mm-hmm. But when you when you shine it, it's the bat symbol. Hmm. So That's like cool. late at night that night, I, uh, I went outside and shined it against the side of the house. And the bat symbol covers half the house. Did Batman come out? No. Oh. But people at work have started shining them on the ceiling when they need me. <laughs> Shine the Wayne signal. Okay, you know, I'm looking at BatmanLive.com. Okay, this show it, looks badass. It, yeah, it, it's it got does. fantastic reviews. Wayne, tell us about Batman Live for those folks who aren't familiar with it. I've even got they, – they designed a new Batmobile for this thing, and I have the Hot Wheel of that hanging up on my desk at work. But it's, it's just a live-action, stunt-spectacular Batman. It's the story of Robin. And it's uh, it's based. They say it's true to the comic book. The characters all look like they are the comic book versions of them, or at least a lighter version. But it's going to be a big live action Batman presentation. I don't know why people aren't clamoring for this. Well, I, mean, well, I know originally they they showed some original costuming, and it looked very much like a Joel Schumacher Batman show. Yes. Yeah. But looking at the current designs, they they really went back to back to work on them. And they're they're really quite impressive, actually. Yeah, I mean, and the show toured toured Europe before coming to the U.S. Yeah. So I'm sure they've worked out a lot of the kinks. Well, I know that uh, you know Kevin Smith and his guys went and saw it, and they spoke very highly of it. Um, I was one of the guys that I, I follow on Instagram went last night, and he he and his family just loved it. Yeah, the Robin costume looks particularly good. I mean, they spent some time designing that. Same yeah. with the Batman costume. It doesn't look at all Schumacher to me. I have heard that same thing from people who went, you know, who haven't went to it but just saw the early ads. They thought it looked too much like the Schumacher Batman. But it really, well, it's a live action Batman. I'm gonna go and support it because I want more live action superhero stuff. That's not Spider Man. Turn off the dark. Hell yeah! I mean, uh, it, it, sadly, the closest date that's been announced to me is Dallas, <laughs> and I'm in Virginia. Well, come so. on, Paul. Yeah, I'll be I'll be there on December thirteenth. Um, <laughs> so hopefully they'll announce some dates on the East Coast, even New York or DC. I mean, I I would go hands down if it was within a five hour drive. Yeah. Even um, well, if you drive like really you said, fast, it could be a five hour drive for you. I would have to drive supersonic fast. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I, I I think it looks really cool, and I would yeah. definitely go. Yeah. Did you guys? Well, Aaron's a little old for this. Hey, easy. <laughs> but Wayne, did you see they're coming out of their shells live? When no, they did I didn't. that, I didn't. Uh, that was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live show as a kid. I have very good memories of that. See, it reminds me of uh, I've seen it a couple of the Six Flags Batman Sunset Spectaculars from uh, you know back in the days when I used to work at Six Flags. 
going to both our park and some of the others on our uh, yearly supervisor trip, you know, I would see all of those live adventure shows. I mean, yes, a lot of times they were corny because they're just theme park shows, but it's still cool to see live Batman with explosions and villain fighting and cool vehicles. I, I'm I am all about this show. I, I really do hope they announce more dates. I know you said they canceled a bunch of dates. Yeah. Maybe it's just because around the, the Christmas holiday they figured they'd lose money rather than make money. I don't know. Well, and that, that's what uh, you know. Several reviewers that I was following had said was that um, it's unusual that they canceled those dates around the holidays because generally events like this that are family friendly. Uh, do very well during the holidays, and so they were surprised to see you know so many dates canceled around this time. Yeah, but that's a shame. I ho- like I said, you know, could they come to the East Coast, and I will definitely be there. Yeah, but um, you know, speaking of Batman, have you guys been listening to Fat Man on Batman recently? Uh, I listened just this week. I am two episodes behind the two-parter. Yeah, I, the, the last one I listened to was uh, Paul Dini, his return. Yeah, well, that's what they've – so this second season or whatever of Fat Man on Batman, they've kind of rebranded the show. Mm-hmm. And instead of doing interviews, they are doing commentary on Batman the Animated Series episodes mm. with Kevin Smith and Paul Dini. I mean that that seems like what they're going to be doing the entire season because um, the, the most recent episode this week was a commentary on uh, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, I haven't listened to that one yet. Yeah, I was because I, I, mean, I love Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah, the first episode was I think Heart of Ice and yes. Over the Edge. Yes, and um, you know, I, I, it's funny. I, I don't really listen to them as the commentary because if you listen to them as the commentary, they really are very poor commentary. Correct. They don't flow at all with what's on the TV. They really kind of get off on tangents and stuff right. like that. Right. But I mean, the insight they bring into the episodes and on Mask of the Phantasm, I've I've found very entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I'm, I, I mean, I like this new format. I mean, when he when he said when they said they were going to do Mask of the Phantasm. I was all about it. Yeah. And I'm hoping they do other things like uh, Return of the Joker. Oh, yeah. I would love to hear the commentary on that one. Yeah. I mean, stuff like that. I mean, I, I know it's a Batman show, but I'd love to do – I'd love them to do some episodes on Superman too. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, I wonder <clears> if this grew out of uh, – him. basically, Kevin Smith and one of his buddies got together and did this for uh, uh, Dark Knight. Yes, and he did say that that's what it came out of. Okay. I – you know – I think that a lot of it also has to do with the fact that you know he's wanting to do a Batman show every week, um, and a lot of the comic book talent isn't there. So you know the the talent that he has probably readily available is you know Hollywood talent. So thus, it probably makes more sense to make the animated series commentary versus a comic book commentary. Plus, I think Kevin Smith is a lot more into the animated series than the comics. Yeah, I've noticed. You know? that. I mean, 90% of the show has been around the the animated series yeah. uh, he did say i think on last week's episode that he tried to get with scott snyder yes but yeah. that got derailed because of sandy hurricane stupid, sandy. stupid sandy but um no i yeah, I, I, I was surprised by the because uh, he also does on hollywood babylon they do comic-con theater where him and ralph garman went through and read the first of his comic books yeah the uh the first one was uh cacophony right i'm surprised he didn't throw that on fat man on batman as well just because it was it is Batman, and it's reading the comics he wrote. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would not surprise me to find that he fills some weeks by reposting those to the Fat Man on Batman feed. Yeah. Yeah, because that's th- that's there's three episodes right there. Yeah, I mean, uh, clip shows. I mean, who does that? Yeah, who does that? God, that's so lame. <laughs> Gee, show up for a podcast every <laughs> once in a while. 
<laughs> but uh, no, I, I dig the new format. I mean, I, I would much prefer new content every week, but I, I for however long they're going to do this, the insights that it brings into the episodes and all that. I mean, Batman the Animated Series is just timeless for me. I could watch those sure. episodes a million times and never get sick of them. I really need them on Blu-ray. Yes, I need, absolutely. I need them cleaned up, you know, re, you know, re-digitized the whole bit and put them on Blu-ray. That I'm, I, I'm, I'm struggling to not buy the DVD set because I really want it on Blu-ray. No, I'm with you, and I, 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 I'm surprised they haven't. But I think it's a, I think it's a financial situation. They don't know if they're going to make their money back by doing all that work on it. You know, I, I, I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I mean, it may be just an investment of time. Like we've got this limited group of people who do that kind of thing, you know, and they're and they're perennially going through and and, and doing updates, and maybe they're making it a solid enough bank on DVDs to kids versus Blu-rays to collectors. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I think Batman's perennial in terms of of its marketability and its sellability. So, you know, it's like Star Trek. You're going to make your money back, you know? Yeah, but, you know, now that I think about it, what classic cartoons other than Disney have been released on DVD? On DVD or Blu-ray? Sorry, Blu-ray. Um, well, all the new Marvel animated is on Blu-ray now. Yeah, but, I mean, I mean, Batman, we're talking 20 over Warner, 20 years old. In fact, next Warner year is Brothers. the 20th anniversary of Mask the, of the, the Looney Tunes stuff. Is on wow, now. Paul, you just made me feel old. Just because you are old. Old Wayne is old. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Christmas, <laughs> Christmas. I hate to 90- think what that makes you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Christmas 93 is when yeah. Mask of the Phantasm came out in theaters. Good God. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping for the 20th anniversary they do a Blu-ray of that. Did you see Mask of the Phantasm in the theater? I did. I did too. On good. Christmas Day. That was good stuff. Yeah, but there were like 12 people in the theater, but... <laughs> it's the best way to see a movie. Yeah. This whole oh. seeing it with a crowd, I'd much rather be the only dude in the theater. <laughs> I still remember the first episode of you know of the animated series. It was shown on a Sunday during primetime as yep. a sneak, pre- sneak preview, and it was the, the one with Man Bat. Yeah. You know, I, I wish I had more connections in the industry, because I would totally steal the format and do a, a Superman animated series show. Paul, you are an acknowledged producer of fine cinema. Yeah, true. But I don't have a direct contact to Tim Daly or Dana Delaney or Clancy Brown but or you any know, of that people. But it's all a whole six degrees of separation thing, Paul. I mean, you know, you know, you know, whoever those guys were that made that horror movie. So, you know, <laughs> you just say, hey, I need I need to talk to Dana Delaney now. And I need her to sit on my lap while I'm talking to her. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, <laughs> I, I'm with you, Paul. That does sound awesome. I would love to do something like that, too. I'd love I, to go through it. That would be an excuse for me to go through and rewatch the Superman animated series. There, You don't need an excuse to rewatch the Superman animated series. It's so good. Yeah. It, it it's so underrated. I mean, everyone always talks about <clears throat> Batman, but the Superman one was just as good. Well, and, you know, I know that everyone's like, you know, Kevin Conroy is the voice of, of Batman, but I thought, you know, Tim Daly did a marvelous job as the voice of Superman. Oh, yeah. He was, he, he's perfect. I and, mean, really. I mean, the, the guy who replaced him was good, too, George Newbern, but, uh-huh. but Tim Daly always. Yeah. Tim, I mean, he certainly hasn't branded the character like Kevin Conroy did, but, you know, he is the voice of animated Superman for me, just like Dana Delaney is the voice of Lois Lane for me. And Clancy Brown is Lex Luthor. Oh, fuck. Clancy Brown is Lex Luthor is awesome. And that's just, he was perfect. Yeah. He was absolutely perfect. And Michael Ironside is Darkseid. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes, very much so. 
I mean, that's the first thing I think when I think, you know, Darkseid. That isn't even the first voice that's done him. It just, he defined the character to me voice-wise. Well, um, I know when they did uh, Superman Batman Apocalypse, the animated movie a couple years ago, and they got Andre Brower uh-huh. to play Darkseid, it just sounded all sorts of wrong. Yeah, yeah. And I sometimes wonder why they make, why they decide to change that kind of stuff up when they don't have to. Yeah. Eh, I think they, you know, Michael Ironside isn't really a name anymore. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he just, he's... I know it's not a name, but who, unless you've got, unless you've got a movie like you know uh, Ice Age or something about that, who's going to see that movie because of the voice of the of the voice actor because of the you know the actor behind the voice? I agree with you. Hmm. But you know, I don't think there'll ever be anyone to replace the voice of Granny Goodness. Ed Asner? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, Ed Asner as Granny Goodness is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. He, he was I, I remember watching that the first time. I'm like, is that fucking Lou Grant? <laughs> uh, I just I, I, I just love him as Granny Goodness. Of course, now I just want to watch Superman the Animated Series. I tell you what, let's just end the show right here. Yeah, and we can go, we can go watch some some uh, some Superman. No, we could just record our own commentary. There you go, Tim Daly. There you go. Most of it will devolve into you know all the you know how sexy Lois Lane is in the uh, Superman animated series. Yeah, but that's okay. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm all about uh, Ms. Delaney as Lois Lane. Well, I mean, but we'll have to take a break in between Superman episodes to watch Star Wars. Yeah. You know, there's, you know, it, 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 it's funny because, you know, I remember, you know, as a kid or well, not even as a kid, let's say when episode one was coming out, I mean, everyone was, and that was before the internet was really everywhere. I mean, you know, I remember I camped out for Star Wars tickets, for Star Wars episode one tickets. For Phantom Menace. For Phantom Menace tickets, yes. I camped out at the theater for episode one tickets, mm-hmm. um, you know, because you couldn't just go to movietickets.com and buy them right back then. You know, and, but you know, so every little bit of news, magazine, you know, oh, Rolling Stone's going to have an article on Star Wars Episode One. You know, like everyone just jumped on every little news item, and it's ha- it seems to be happening again with the new Star Wars movies. You know, considering all the hatred for the prequel trilogy, everyone seems super excited about the new trilogy because what? It's a new hope. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have hope for it. I do too. I, you know, I and the the news coming out, like for instance, that Lawrence Ka- uh, Lawrence Kasdan, you know, who wrote Empire, uh, the best of the Star Wars movies, in, in my opinion, um, is is attached to this new movie. I, I am just so excited that there's a real writer involved in this. Isn't it sad that this will probably be more faithful to the original than the prequels that were made by Lucas? Yeah, I, I don't think it's sad at all. <laughs> I think I think that that is the most wonderful news I've ever heard. Well, you know, and of course there's uh, the rumors that the scripts do heavily involve Luke Skywalker, and you know, um, as well they should, they're, since they follow the you know four, five, and six. Yeah, well, and it's funny because you know, the way they're talking about it is that there is the the Skywalker saga, and then there will be spinoff movies too. And I think there should be, and there needs to be a Boba Fett movie. Yeah, I'm not a Boba Fett guy. I Boba, you make a Boba Fett movie, and that is a license to print money. <laughs> it is. I've never been a big Boba Fett fan either, but I know a lot of people that are. Yeah, it's like everything we saw of him in the movie. He seems like a pretty inefficient, you know, Com- bounty com- hunter. Completely agree. 
I don't think he's ever had had good screen time, inclusive of you know Django Fett or whatever the hell his name is from the prequels. I mean, there's really not enough there to sink your teeth in. Uh, the people I know that love the character got into it with the expanded universe. Exactly. The, some of the books apparently really flesh him out. Right. And those guys, the people that have read those books all absolutely love the character. Yep. So there are lots of rumors going around about about the directors mm-hmm. of the the new trilogy, um, and some of the names being tossed out, and the directors have not denied involvement. Um, are uh, David Fincher and uh, John Favreau? Don't you know that those guys? I mean, that the, there's a whole string of guys who would just love to sink their teeth into doing a Star Wars film. Guys who grew up with it, like us. You know that they're just like God. Please let me get let, let me do a Star Wars movie. I mean, I'm sure guys like David Fincher and Joe Johnson who have the inside track, yeah, would be would do a great job. But I know there are guys like John Favreau who I I mean, knowing what you know about John Favreau with, from interviews and stuff like that, you know that guy is fighting to get this directing job. Oh yeah. I mean that this is just straight up his alley. Yeah, they should like cage match these guys with lightsabers. You know. <laughs> To, 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 well, to determine who's going to win, you know, you get them, you, if, if they're all good, you know, directors, just make them fight it out. Well, and the best part about it is they are guys who have proven that they can work with special effects. Yeah, you know, um, Fincher especially. I, I think that guy, he just he knows how to integrate a special effect so that you don't know it's a special effect. Yeah. So, I, I'd be excited if any one of them was announced. Well, I am. I am just as excited as I can be, and you know it. Again, I've said it before, it gives me reason to live. <laughs> but sticking with the movie news, uh, maybe not as exciting as Star Wars, but you know, X-Men Days of Future Past is ramping up casting, and they've announced more cast members. It, it's pretty much going to unite the cast of X-Men First Class with the cast of the original X-Men trilogy, um, including uh, Hugh Jackman, Ian McKellen, and uh, Patrick Stewart. I just I find it very interesting that Patrick Stewart will return since he died. In- well, and that's the part we don't really know about. Still, we don't know when the you know when this is going to take place. Well, and plus he kind of died like a bitch, so you know yeah. it gives him an opportunity to die right. Because I know his his mind went into the body of that guy in the coma, right? But you know, I mean, the guy in the coma didn't look like Patrick Stewart. Well, no. Well, and what I'm wondering is, will they be the future? You know, the future X-Men, that the future gets prevented. So he dies because they wouldn't, they stopped this other horrible future. And will Young Beast meet Old Beast? Like, will, hmm. will Kelsey Grammer be in it? Is it going to be like an all-new X-Men kind of thing? That would be kind of awesome. You know, it's, it's kind of funny because, you know, they're calling it Days of Future Past. But if you think about it, it's really more of a setup for almost an all-new X-Men kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and that'll be kind of cool because they'll have a trade paperback ready to go. Yeah, <laughs> and know. we'll actually talk about all new X Men later on in the show. Issue two came out this week, but I don't I know. What do you guys feel about X Men Days of Future Past? I'm excited about it. It sounds like they're putting their best foot forward with it. I'm kind of iffy on the whole bringing the cast of the originals in. I loved First Class, but I loved it as its own separate thing, tying it to the original series. Even though I like the original series, except for the third movie, I don't know if I like the idea of tying the two together because I kind of you know. like the separate thing. And while I liked First Class, I feel 
that it didn't have the recognizable characters that the original trilogy did. Is that because they weren't running around in costumes? No, I just didn't care about them. Like I cared about Hugh Jackman's Wolverine or Ian McKellen's Magneto or Patrick Stewart's Professor X. Yeah, and they had a lot of characters that well, they had a lot of characters that were introduced in the you know the first class storyline that people don't necessarily know as well. Like you know, nobody knows Darwin outside of comic readers. True, and even what's her face, Ellen Page as Kitty Pride. I mean, those are characters that I, I I enjoyed watching, I cared about, and I didn't get that same sense from the characters in First Class. First I, Class I was really an Xavier Magneto movie, and I thought he, I thought their Magneto was great. Yeah, well, I thought they were both great, and I don't know if they're going to be in the new movie, but it would make sense. Well, Michael Fassbender is compelling on the screen. I, I, I really enjoyed him in, in First Class. You know that dude, uh, Michael Fassbender? He actually got the rights and is starring and producing an Assassin's Creed movie. Oh, really? I had yeah. not heard that. Yeah, I, I, I am a big Michael Fassbender fan. Yeah, he's good. He's a very good actor. Yeah. So I don't know how to transition to this, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just did. <laughs> well, you know, you're getting a new X-Men movie. You're also getting a new universe. Oh, perfect. How about that? So I, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, back in the day, uh, Jim Shooter, back when he was the uh, chief editor over at Marvel, launched a pocket universe of uh, – of, uh, Marvel stories, you know, kind of like what, what they did with the Ultimates, except this was all new uh, characters outside of the 616, and it was called New Universe. And it lasted for, gosh, maybe two years, three years in print. And you had titles like Starbrand and uh, DP7 and uh, various other uh, titles that, you know, I, I really enjoyed Starbrand. And yeah, well, I, I, they did try to bring them back a couple of years ago. Warren yeah. Ellis. Oh, God, that sucked. New Universe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sucked pretty hard. Um, <laughs> but Jonathan Hickman has uh, – there has been an announcement that Jonathan Hickman is bringing back the New Universe this summer. I got to say I'm pretty stoked about that. Yeah, I and the pages – I have never read a New Universe book, and the only thing I know about it comes from Spider-Man 2099. Mm-hmm. Because the uh, the net profit that they brought in was justice from the yeah. new universe, and, and that that's, that's and the ju- only introduction I've ever had to the new universe. And justice was a really good series too. There were uh, there were several several titles in that series that I enjoyed. And one of the one of the things they did in the original run of the new universe is that stories were told in real time. So if there were thirty days from issue one to issue two, you know, for, from those hitting the stands, thirty days have actually passed in that universe. You know, Savage Dragon does that too. I don't like that. No, it didn't work very well. I just thought it was an interesting concept at the time. Yeah, I, I don't think it. Yeah, it just I, I'm okay with a year passing. I mean, it's it's just it doesn't really work for me because then it's like, do you really have only an adventure every thirty days? Yeah, and you know, I mean, how do you end on cliffhangers and stuff like that? Right. I liked it when they did it for like fifty two, where the book was coming out every week. And it would cover a week's worth of time. So you could have a cliffhanger, and it would take up immediately the next issue. But the books were all, you know, it was set in real time as well. Yeah, and that but I liked it because you're right, gimmick. a weekly show, a weekly yeah. thing. It worked because it was weekly, and it worked because it was a gimmick that afterwards was supposed to end, and they weren't going to do any more weekly stuff. They did, but it worked because it was unique. Right, yeah. But, um, you know, I never read the New Universe stuff 
either, to be honest with you. But I'm 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 super excited about Jonathan Hickman on Avengers. So you know I, I I'm I'm in I'm on board regardless. Yeah, and and I should probably say you know if you haven't read New uh, New Universe yet, don't run out and get it. It doesn't bear up. <laughs> But the the ideas were a lot of fun, and I I, I think there are some really good character concepts there that uh, I, I think we'll enjoy again. Well, I look forward to yeah. it. And um, so you know what else I was looking forward to, Aaron? What, what's that, Paul? This week's new comics. Yes. Especially the first series to conclude, not in, not counting one-shots. Right. I think it's the first series to conclude. It, was it is. Watchmen, Silk Spectre number four came out this week. That's right. The, from Darwin Cook and Amanda Connor. Yeah, and yeah, it's a book that we have uh, uh, gosh, praised. Uh, yeah, yeah praised. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Uh, that, that we 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 have praised and you know issue over issue have just really uh, enjoyed the artwork on it. Um, you know, it was the book that won me over to before Watchmen after having ranted about how it wasn't necessary. And I gotta say, you know, as a whole, I think this was a was a very successful series. Okay. Now, I will say that there, that I think this book concluded early. I think that uh, it peaked at the uh, comedian appearance. You know, this story telling telling the story of the Silk Spectre prior to uh, uh, the big meeting of what Crime Stoppers, yeah, um, Crime Busters, whatever they were called. Um, I, I think I think it's a very well told story. I think it peaked too soon. And I think it's going to read much better in trade than it did in individual issues. Yeah, this issue I thought – I've raved about how much I love this book. Mm-hmm. This issue was boring for the for the most part. It I thought everything, like the last maybe six pages or so, mm-hmm. I thought were great. It's just the beginning part of the book just kind of dragged on for me. It, oh. seemed, it seemed very much an epilogue. I, 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 so I have to disagree with you saying this is a successful series. I I have to disagree with you. I I, I we we loved the first issue. Mm-hmm. I, I literally loved everything in the series except the main conflict. <laughs> the, this whole storyline about the commer- the the songs making yes. people buy stuff and Frank Sinatra being a villain was ridiculously stupid and did not work at all for me. Everything outside of that worked, but when your main conflict doesn't work, I, I mean, it, that just took me out of the book entirely. I disagree. If I could have cut that out of the story, I would have enjoyed it more. I disagree, I disagree that, it's that, the, that was the main conflict. Same here. I, I that was not the main conflict. The main conflict was was her uh, her conflict with herself and her conflict with her mother. I can see that. I just the the. the and I understand why you why you're saying that. You know, it was the the superhero battle. It was the it was the, the the fight in the book. Yeah. But you know, it was the it was the literal fight versus the metaphorical fight. Yeah. Um, I, 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 and I could have done without it. I didn't think you needed it. I think I, you could have removed the entire that entire storyline from the book. Yeah. I think you could have just had her off and. Uh, San Francisco or wherever she was, you know, doing stuff and still have had the comedian showing up and, and, and spoiling the party. Yeah, um, I think I would have liked the series better if they would have done it that way. Completely agree. Completely agree. But, it, you know, that aside, I and I agree with everything you said. I did not think that that, that conflict worked, um, but it was so minor to the rest of the series. It did not diminish my enjoyment of it. Yeah, the well, last I said the last six or so pages, I thought really did a good job of wrapping up the series and I absolutely love her running monologue 
as she meets all of the characters in the uh, the Crime Buster meeting. Yeah. Leading up to what her reaction is to Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. I, well, all of that was great. And I particularly enjoyed the fact that there is a consistent uh, uh, artistic perspective from issue one through issue four. Yeah. You know, that, you know, at no point did we say, well, Amanda Connor really phoned this in and that you could tell this issue was rushed. Every single panel looks like it was lovingly produced. Yeah. And I love that you can actually see when she's rolling her eyes. Yes. Like she rolls her eyes at her mother so many times. Yeah. And you can clearly tell in the art that's what's going on. Yep. No, I, I, I think that that uh, there's a lot that's very successful in the Silk Spectre series. And, and again, I think it's going to read very well in trade. Yeah, I, I, and I would agree. I will probably end up still getting it in trade. Um, because, yeah, if you if you take out that, that Frank's... It just really fucking bugs me that Frank yeah. Sinatra was the main villain in this book. I'm like... Is it because you're a Frank Sinatra apologist, Paul? No, I mean, you know, he can... <laughs> I, it's just because it just was stupid to me. I, I thought it was a little ridiculous, and out of out because of in your world, Frank Sinatra is the good guy, and the Beatles are the bad guys. Well, they were the bad guys too. Oh no, wait, they they, they were manipulated. They yeah, yeah, they were manipulated. <laughs> uh, it was just a silly. I, I, I don't know. I thought that concept was a little out of tone. I the, just like that we learned watching. a new way to paint a bus. <laughs> But I, but you're right. Amanda Connor is definitely going to come out as the superstar yeah. in this book, and deservedly so. She's always been a great artist, but this series, she just knocked it out of the park. Yeah. No, it was good stuff. So, the, but not this week, but last week, huge, huge internet. I, I don't even want to call it controversy about Amazing Spider-Man 698. Yes. Are you going to spoil it? Because if you do, Dan Slot will unfriend you. Well, it's it's been out for two weeks, so I think we're okay. Dan Slott already doesn't like me, so <laughs> <laughs> so Amazing Spider-Man six ninety eight came out. Um, the first part of the Dying Wish storyline that goes through six ninety nine and seven hundred, and um, featured spoiler warnings on in case you haven't already heard. Um, Doctor Octopus has been dying since like issue six hundred of Amazing Spider-Man, <laughs> and on his. <laughs> And um, on his uh, on his deathbed, he has found a way to switch minds with Peter Parker. Peter Parker is trapped in the dying body of Doctor Octopus, and Doctor Octopus is in the body of Peter Parker, um, who and still maintains all of his memories. And as apparently, well. has been in Peter's body for at least a little while because he Doctor Octopus is already in place prior to the beginning of this issue. Correct. So. so so we don't know what all Doc Ock has been able to do. I mean, I I, I would kind of assume that maybe this happened at the end of uh, of uh, gosh the, the last Doctor Octopus story. You think so? Well, I mean, I, when else would that have occurred? So well, we saw the golden octopus thing crawl out of the water, and I think that's what's responsible for it. I think it happened between the end of the last story and the beginning of this issue because his behavior changed. Well, and his, that, his Octobot that you see, when do we see it? I'm, I'm flipping. Um, I thought maybe that was because his behavior has changed all the way from page one. He's different. In right. The book. So, yeah. but, and you, so you see that Octobot early on and I just kind of assume after, uh, after, you know, reading that maybe that's how, um, uh, 
Peter is going to save himself. That he's done, he has manipulated Noctobot, and uh, uh, that's how he's going to get back into his regular body. I don't know. I mean, I, mean, I'm, I know it will resolve itself somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, because so there's been just so much hatred. I don't know about, why. Yeah, I mean, it, it, reading the book, it reads like the first part of a storyline. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh come on, we've never seen a body switch storyline where the superhero gets his body back by the end of the storyline. Right. I, I mean, I, I don't understand the. Yeah, I mean, I have to say this is an incredibly corny, cheesy, horrible idea. The execution was done incredibly well. Yeah. I, I absolutely love the issue as I read through it. I like the tone. I like the way it's being handled. It is a little different in that uh, Ock has all of Peter's memories. And so what's it's interesting. not cheesy at all. Yeah. Well, I think what's interesting about it is that Doc Ock, he takes over Peter's body and is still acting like a hero. Yeah, and is doing a better job being Peter than Peter does. Yeah. yeah. You know? So, and, I mean, do I think... And I, I admire his... Mary Jane. I, yeah, I admire his play. You know, your first order of business, let's get back together with MJ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know what I think is going to happen? Well, how I think the storyline is going to resolve itself? Hmm. Peter's not a murderer, right? Right. So if he has the choice, he is probably not going to put Dr. Octopus back into his body just for Dr. Octopus to die. I would venture to say that we're going to see a firestorm type situation where Peter and, and Otto share the same body. Ah, uh, interesting idea. And that's, you know, so I, I, I have a feeling that's what we're going to see in Superior Spider-Man. And that's why you're going to see a little bit more of a violent Spider-Man when Otto takes, you know, the Otto part of it. But, you know, Peter's still in the body, too. I, so right. I, I, I venture to say that's probably what we'll see. That, that so, feels like what's how the story sh- should resolve itself. My prediction for Superior Spider-Man is that this Peter Doc Ock same body thing is going to be – it's either going to be resolved by 700 – and Ock will have done some things in Peter's body that he feels personally responsible for and and stops being Spider-Man for that. Or it won't resolve, but you, you're right, the two will be in the same body and they'll be fighting and he'll choose not to be Spider-Man because he can't trust himself. I still think Miguel O'Hare is, is going to be the superior Spider-Man because the, based on what we've seen from the pictures, it doesn't make any sense to me that that's Peter's body in that costume. Even with Doc Ock controlling it, the the personality might fit for a darker Spider-Man, but the claws just scream to me Miguel O'Hare. I, I mean, don't know. I don't know. I mean, regardless how it resolves, I know there will be some sort of resolution. It yeah. reads like the first part of the storyline, and it, it, it's a well-written book. No, you know, no, I, I, I'm enjoying the storyline. I thought it was very well executed. I thought that uh, Dan Slot, you know, has got this thing firing on all cylinders. I, I think that that I, I'm in for the ride. I'm, I'm, I'm I have faith in what this is going to be. And I especially like the way the story is handled, in that you don't know Doc Ock's in the body until the end. Right. I mean, you know, you, you just think – I mean, there are hints throughout the book, clearly. You know, the way Peter talks is not the way Peter normally talks. Right. But It know, just so seems he, like he's had an epiphany. Yeah. Yeah. But so, I, I, I mean, think, I enjoyed it. I do think that little Octobot that we see crawl up on the on the dock is uh, has got, you know, Peter's soul or intellect or whatever you want to call in it. And that's where – that's how, how things are going to get fixed. Yeah. Well, two more issues. I think six ninety nine comes out next week. Yeah, and then the big seven hundred with art by Wayne favorite Umberto Ramos. Uh, fifty four pages. Fifty four pages of Umberto Ramos art. Awesome. Oh, it is that's also be so painful. Hey, wait. It's also a seven ninety nine book. Just thought you should oh, know. Jeez, Lou. Yeah. 
<laughs> Rage! You're, you're forgetting 699.1, or, or VS0, whatever you want to call it. I did not forget. I intentionally <laughs> did not mention it. Because uh, I'm not big on that. I, I think I'll be skipping out on 699.1. I, I'm not the hugest Morbius fan, so I, I don't think I'm interested in the new Morbius series. Who's, who's going to be writing Morbius? I don't remember. It's not Dan Slott. Yeah, I figured as much. He's, he's kind of busy with the uh, two or more times a week on Amazing Spider-Man. You mean a month? Yeah, sorry, whatever. That, that's a lot of damn Spider-Man. Well, <laughs> Dan Slott's the guy to bring it to you. Joe Keating is the artist on uh, the new Morbius series. So Don't Paul. ask who. <laughs> so, Paul. Yes. Paul. Yes, Aaron. Aaron. Um, Aaron. New Avengers End Times, issue 34. Yeah. Final New Avengers book from Avengers scribe Brian Michael Bendis. Yes, and you know, advertised as the final Brian Michael Bendis Avengers book, even though it's technically not, because he has the Ultron War coming next year. Age of Ultron. Oh yeah, Age of Ultron coming next year. But this is the final issue of New Avengers uh, under you know the book that Brian Michael Bendis started after Avengers disassembled. Way back with the Raft, uh, mm-hmm. the big breakout. Yep, with art by David Finch. Yep, yep. I loved that initial storyline. Yeah. Uh, I loved the initial storyline of this volume of New Avengers with uh, Stuart Amon and Art featuring Brother Voodoo. Yep. Um, or Dr. Voodoo back then. Yep. And so this is the concluding chapter of uh, the sequel to that storyline featuring uh, Brother Voodoo's brother, Daniel Drum. Is Daniel Drum? Yes, Daniel. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, basically possessing the different Avengers and. Uh, Doctor Strange having to take on the entire Avengers team by himself, featuring a whole jam of independent artists, um, each doing a splash page of the battle, uh-huh. and then uh, concluding with Mike Diodato art. Uh-huh. <sighs> I didn't like it, Aaron. I just didn't like it. I I liked most of this book. I did not like the jam pieces. The jam pieces were awful. Um, in fact, there is the one – it really just descends into just terrible, uh, terrible, terrible, terrible art on uh, page uh, 10. Is it No, the very first one with uh, the Red Hulk. Uh, with Luce, Lucy Nisley, K-N-I-S-L-E-Y, mm-hmm. uh, uh, with uh, Doctor Strange fighting uh, Captain America. And he supernaturally bends Captain America's neck to defeat him. He literally wrings his neck. I mean, it was terrible. I mean, uh, here's the thing. The art may work in other kinds of books, much like the Michael Avon Oming art in last issue. Yeah. It did not work in the New Avengers. Yeah, no, I think it was a mistake to put these guys – I think it's a mistake to do these big jam pieces uh, in generally speaking. Yeah, I mean, do um, pinups at the end of the issue. Yeah, or do a you know if you're gonna do if you want a bunch of different artists, do short stories. You know, do your big seven ninety nine book that I that I don't buy uh, <laughs> with with those various artists. I am not a fan of the jam pieces. I like like we were talking about on Silk Spectre. I like a consistent artistic vision, story to story. Yeah, because we didn't talk about Avengers thirty three last week. Yeah. Um, but it, it much had the same jam piece type yeah. thing. Um, the artists were not as in, as indie as the artists in this book. Yeah. However, it worked just as poorly. Yeah. Because you had Baron Karza or whatever, Garzan or whatever the frick yeah. his name Lord was. Lord Gozer. He, he, Lord Gozer. He just kept changing in size depending on which artist drew him. Yeah. And it just – yeah, so it worked just as poorly there as it does in this issue. 
Um, but I will say that the story was better told in the in this issue versus the Avengers book. You know, in the new Avengers book versus the Avengers book. Um, though, I mean, I felt like the the reveal that you know Damien Hellstrom was still alive was managed rather poorly. Um, but I, I I did. And I had some problems with Doctor Strange in that Doctor Strange has never evidenced the ability to manage the power that he does in this book. Yeah, I, I have a, I had a lot of problems with this arc in that, and much in the same way as the uh, Avengers arc, this is four issues of Brian Michael Bendis' weakness, which yeah. is fight scenes. Yeah. Because, you know, I would have rather had four issues of them talking and planning, because uh-huh. that's his strength. Well, and, and to that end, the last five pages of this book i think are what really won me over yeah they're you know? they are probably the best pages of the arc yeah well and i would agree i would agree and they're certainly the most heartfelt you know it's luke cage and jessica jones uh who brian michael bendis has nursed these characters out of you know <laughs> out of the weeds i mean these characters were nowhere uh you know luke cage hadn't been used properly in almost 20 years when uh uh, Bendis picked him up in the Alias books, right? And Jessica Jones, you know, he brought that character along, um, and he's carried the, these characters through Alias, through uh, the Pulse, and then into the Avengers books. And you know, I remember when the Avengers book, when his new Avengers book started, people were like, "Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, those aren't Avengers." And for me, that now they're the heartbeat of the Avengers. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I am truly, deeply going to miss these characters because they have become as much a part of the Avengers as Captain America, as Jarvis, as Iron Man and Thor. Well, and here's what I mean: New Avengers started a good ten years ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't remember when Bendis started his uh, New Avengers run, and I, I probably maybe I'm exaggerating. Maybe it's not that long ago. It's I know I think it was like 2002, 2004. It's right in that zone. Okay, so I mean, Bendis has been pretty much the exclusive Avengers guy, other than um, other than uh, Dan Slott taking over on Mighty Avengers right. for a little while since that time. Yeah, you know, since like 2004 time frame. So, I mean, it, it, this is, you know, it, it is a seminal run, and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, you know, being the center of that run and the heart of that run, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, I do agree with you, and I, I liked I liked the way that wrapped up. However, mm-hmm. it felt shoved in <laughs> with the rest of the story. Well, and I, I think it's the other way around. I felt like these last five pages were the heart of the story. I think that the remaining three and a half issues were what was shoved in. Yeah. And, uh, you know? okay. so, yeah. I mean, I, I would have rather had, I would have rather not had the storyline. Yeah. I didn't think there was an unresolved issue with the, with brother voodoo's brother. I know he said he would return and get revenge, but I didn't feel it was something that had to be resolved. Well, and I, I was, I, I was glad to see that spoiler warnings on that. Dr. Strange was restored to being the sorcerer Supreme. You're right. I mean, I, yeah. I, I thought that was great. I, I enjoyed that moment of the book, but how we got there is was not very enjoyable for me. Agreed. And and honestly, you know, as somebody who likes to collect his Avengers stories in hardback, I have a hard time believing I'm going to buy this in hardback. In fact, I've, I've got it digitally, and I think that's probably just going to last me on this one. 
Yeah, I mean, essentially, the storyline was set was basically created to set everything back the way it was before Bendis took over the book. Right. Because Scott Lang is back from the dead. Yes. Um, Vision has returned. Hawkeye's back from the dead. Hawkeye's Scarlet Witch is dead. back from the dead. Um, yeah. Everybody and, he killed and disassembled is all back. And everyone he introduced, like Victoria, well, not everyone he introduced, but Victoria Hand is dead. Yeah. Norman Osborn is now back in Spider-Man. I mean, it's like it, it's you know we're, it, we're basically heading back to pre-Bendis status quo. Um, I just didn't necessarily care for the way he did it, uh, and but I do I do appreciate the ending. I do appreciate the wrap up of Luke Luke and uh, Jessica's time on the Avengers. Um, what is interesting is the final page. Luke says, you know, I'm going to start up a new Heroes for Hire, and uh, Bendis has pretty much said that that is his and Diodato's new book. I, you know, and I, I've got a lot of faith in, in Bendis, but I don't think anybody's ever done a Heroes for Hire book that was worth a damn. No, and uh, I know? would, here's the thing, I will buy it if it's the only place I can get my Iron Fist. Yeah. And despite me not liking Mike Diodato's art, I will buy a Heroes for Hire book if it is the only place I can get my Iron Fist. Yeah. Because I do love Iron Fist as a character. I do too. And, you know... It uh, seems like it's less of a Marvel Now concept and more of a, hey, I've been playing with these toys for a while. I'm going to, since I'm leaving Avengers, I'm just going to put them somewhere where I can pick them up again. Yeah, because I, I don't think right. Iron Fist on any of the Avengers teams, either. Um, uh, well, he's the, just not been used to any great effect. Yeah, No, I mean, he, I mean, he's currently on New Avengers, but I mean, in the, uh, in the upcoming teams, oh. all the teams that have been announced, the Avengers, New Avengers... Uncanny Avengers, your mom's Avengers. You know, I mean, I don't see Iron Fist on any of those teams. Yeah. So I would imagine they are reserving him for a Heroes for Hire book. Yeah. Well, and the good news is, is that Squirrel Girl is going to follow them over there too. So, you know, you'll get your Squirrel Girl, you get your Jessica Jones, you get your Luke Cage, you get your Iron Fist. I just don't want Mike Diodato art on. Oh, uh, I love Mike um, Diodato. God, no, I love it. Ugh. Ugh. Mike Dio freaking Dato. Well, and I'm sure that'll be the next Marvel Now book to be announced. But um, you know, speaking of Marvel Now, as we lead into Marvel Now, we have an ass ton of Marvel Now books to talk about. Um, starting with some of the stuff that came out last week, including Indestructible Hulk number one from Mark Wade, art by Laniel Francis Yu. So, uh, you know, as a Mark Wade fan, let's let Wayne take a first stab at this. And I will, I will say, I picked it up because Mark Wade is writing it. I mean, I'm a Hulk fan, I'm a big Hulk fan, but I haven't been happy with anything they've done with Hulk since he's come back from uh, from Planet Hulk. Basically, everything from World War Hulk, although I did like the beginning of that story, everything from the end of World War Hulk up till now, I've been hugely disappointed with the Hulk, and I really enjoyed this book. I've I'm on board for it. I'm going to continue buying it. I think it's a different direction for Hulk. I like this idea of... Banner has reached the point where he's done trying to cure Hulk, and he's going to try to make a name for himself separate of Hulk. I like the idea of using Hulk as a weapon. You aim Hulk and you pull the trigger. The writing I thought was great. I thought the the dialogue was great. I was happy with the art. I I am completely on board for the series. I really dug how Banner manipulated the situation. Yeah, you know, and how you know. I like it when we get to see how smart Banner is, and that's something that they they pulled that Jeff Parker really uh, accentuated in his. Uh, is that a word? Accentuated, accentuated. There we go. Accentuated. Yeah, uh, <laughs> accentuated in his 
Hulk books, you know, that got ridiculous with all of the, you know, World War Hulks and whatnot. But, you know, you had that Team Banner thing going on, and it was great. You got to see how smart Banner was. And that's something that I think a lot of writers forget. They get so wrapped up in Hulk Smash that they forget, you know, that Banner is one of the smartest guys on the planet. And I, I lo- love and I, the rivalry with Tony Stark. I do too, and I, I think that really and Reed Richards as well. You know, and that, that carries over into Avengers Assemble, exactly. Which is nice too. And I just like that. You know, uh, you, you, it really fleshes out the character. You know, it makes him. He, he's not just the tormented guy running around and stretched out. Uh, you know, purple pants. Uh, you know, lamenting the fact that he's got no control over his future. I like that he's like, you know what? This is my life. I'm going to make a dent. Banner's going to be remembered for doing awesome things as Banner, not just as the guy who blew up the world. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. I mean, he should be one of the top scientists right alongside Reed and Tony and them. Yeah. But he just isn't because he spends all his time trying to not turn green. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, think it's, I think it was a very well done book. I thought the artwork was fantastic. All right. So here's where, our, oh, here's where I interject. Here we go. <laughs> okay. So I enjoyed the hell out of Fall of the Hulks, World War Hulks. Um, not the original World War Hulk, but like like you said, when Jeff Parker came in and worked with Greg Pack, I thought there was some really great Banner stuff in there. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I did not get into Jason Aaron's Hulk book, Incredible Hulk book, when Banner went crazy. Right. And, and I, I did not care for that book, and I tried. I mean, I really tried. I read like twelve issues of the damn book, and I did not care for it, <laughs> uh, just because that's how much I like Jason Aaron. But I, I loved the writing on this book. I did not care for the Lineal Francis U art. Oh, I love the Lineal Francis U art. And I like Lineal Francis U art in general. However, I do think his art is more spectacular. And this and Mark Wade wrote this book. You know, there there's it's a let's say a twenty page book, but fifteen pages of it are essentially a conversation. And I don't think that's Lineal Francis U's strength. Um I don't, you know, I don't feel he sold the cockiness of Ban- of Banner, you know, I, and I, he he doesn't really do emotion very well, I think, um, other than anger in fights. I, I I do think the spectacular stuff is his strength, and I don't think the quiet stuff is his strength. And I think this book was more of a quiet book until the until the Hulk showed up. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not saying it was bad art. I'm saying I think they I would have preferred a different artist on the book. Wow, I, I just blows my mind that you said that. Really, I'm disgusted why? with you a little bit. I think, why does it blow your mind? Aren't you used to Paul being wrong by now? Well, that's true. It's just I'm, I'm not used to him being so profoundly wrong. No, when I'm reading the scene in the diner, I'm just—I mean, the, the, most of the book takes place in a diner, and I'm thinking, "Wow, I really think I would have preferred a different artist on this book." Until the Hulk showed up. Then the Hulk showed up, and you know, Lanil Francis, you did his thing. But in general, I, I would have preferred a different artist on the book. I think. Wow. Yeah, I was very happy with the art, with the that kind of down to earth conversation scene. I thought it was very well done. I'm not saying again. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm saying I would have preferred something else for this book. My my only complaint about the artwork is I have a problem with buzz cut Hulk. You know, he his hair is is worn usually. I, the Hulk to me should have unruly, unkept hair, and he just seems spectacularly well groomed for the Hulk. Well, because he's bare I do agree there. I mean that 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 kind of got established back in I think Bruce Jones' run. Um, when Bruce Jones was on the book with John Romita Jr., that whatever Banner's haircut is, that's what the Hulk's haircut is. Yeah, I remember the storyline where Banner shaved his head, and Hulk realized he was bald and was pretty angry about it. Yeah, I don't care for it. 
<laughs> I don't care for it. I, I do agree there. I like the messed up hair. Yeah. Much yeah. Well, and also, that's not the Hulk we saw in Avengers Assemble. Because the Hulk in Avengers Assemble had hair. Yeah. Yeah, it's just artistic interpretation. I just yeah. I would prefer him to to not have to not look like he just came out of uh, you know the barber shop. So not a bad book. In fact, I loved the writing on it. Like I said, would have preferred a different artist. However, you know, I, I thought the writing was really strong, and I enjoy the concept. So I'm on board. I, I, are you guys all on board for issue oh, two? Oh yeah, like yeah, fuck yeah. yeah! Oh yeah, I love this book. I've wanted so, a Hulk book for a while. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I, I love the character of the Hulk, but more than the Hulk, I love Bruce Banner. Yeah. No, and, I was uh, I was stoked by it. I, I think this is going to be a good series. I think the best thing to happen to the Hulk was Joss Whedon's Avengers movie. Yeah. Because I, I think that is the reason we have this Hulk book right now. Well, for whatever the reason may be, Mr. Head is happy. Yes. Because, well, you know, we have complained about not having a Hulk book for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I, you know, I know it's just a first issue, but uh, I, I am pleasantly surprised. Well, speaking of pleasantly surprised, you know, a book pleasantly surprised me. Um, Black Kiss number three. <laughs> that, that was a surprise, but I wouldn't call it pleasant. <laughs> um, no, FF number one. Yeah. By Matt Fraction, art by Mike Allred. I, you know, I we we give Matt Fraction a hard time. Even though lately he has been really doing a damn good job, but I'm not the hugest fan of Mike Allred either. So you take two art creators that I'm not the hugest fans of and put them in a book, and apparently you get gold because I loved this book. Yeah, yeah, I, I I loved this book from beginning to end. This was this was spectacularly well done. You know, I thought it was just going to be this big silly action book. I mean, because you think the characters on the team, you see the Mike Allred art. But no, it there were there were just, it was a pretty emotional book with Scott mm-hmm. Lang not wanting to take on the team because of the death of his daughter and right. you know read you know like it not even occurring to read like yeah. hey this is a stupid idea this guy's daughter just died yeah you know and you get and it, it felt like you know like some of the best parts of the Hickman run yeah no I I, I thought this book was very enjoyable um, I <laughs> I love that you know. We're going on this year-long adventure, but you know we've kind of factored the time where we're only going to be away for four real minutes. But we just we want to hedge our bets just in case something goes wrong. Need you to head the Avengers for the next four minutes, or you know for however long. And it just it cracks me up all the work that's gone in. You know we're only going to be gone four minutes. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but they're going to be gone more than four minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 I, I really like between the last issue and this one. I like Johnny's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. I uh, I do feel it's a little bit of a step back for Johnny, the way he's been behaving with her. I agree. He reached the point where he finally had his act together and he was in control. And they've kind of stepped him back from that. But I absolutely love his relationship with her. And I, I'm curious what she's going to be like on the team. Yeah, I hope she's not just the dumb character. You know, she doesn't. She seems like she could be more than that. I, yeah, uh... She hasn't come off as dumb. She's just dating a dumb guy. I really enjoyed the confessionals in the book. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you had these these moments, which you find out at the end is Scott Lang asking all the members of the FF and the Future Foundation to tell him what the Future Foundation is all about. And so it opens up with uh, Franklin and Valeria, you know, having that conversation. It's done very reality show confessional style. And the whole time Valeria is talking, Franklin is making faces behind her. And I got to tell you, it was cracking me up. 
I I basically lost it when he gave the line. I have a Galactus like a pet. <laughs> yeah, Galactus is his herald. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I thought that was hysterical. Now, my only concern with the book is that um, I'm worried how it's gonna how well it's going to work without the Fantastic Four in it. I think it'll work just fine. I think it's gonna be quirky. Uh, I think that uh, you know I've always liked the Scott Lang character. You know, so I'm I'm glad he's back. I'm sorry that his uh, uh, daughter died right after he got back because I liked her too. So, uh, but but I like the character. I like just about everybody they've got in this book. Yeah, what so, I'm still not 100% sure on, and I'm sure it'll work out over the next issue or so, is just exactly who all is going with the Fantastic Four. I think I, it's, I think it's Core FF and uh, Franklin and Valeria, and then uh, everybody else is staying home. Yeah, and that's kind of that's what I've figured. They just haven't been very clear on that of who's I agree. behind and who's going. Yeah, but I know they're taking kids with them because they referred to kids. And when I first read that in uh, Fantastic Four number one, which came out a week or two ago, I thought that they were talking about the Future Foundation in general. You know, the, the plural kids. I didn't realize that they were being specific to Franklin and Valeria. But since then, I think that's what they've done. Yeah, I'd agree with so. that. And I like how the books tie together, and much like Hickman tied his books together. Uh-huh. And I, I know it'll be – they won't once they go their separate ways. Well, and, and that's what I like about it is, I mean they're telling the story in the same continuity, but it's going to be two different books. Whereas at the end of Hickman's run, you know, they were essentially just one damn book. Yeah. You know, and I didn't think that worked nearly as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I like, uh, you know, She-Hulk. I like Ant-Man. Uh, I kind of like Medusa. Uh, yeah, I don't really care about Medusa, but yeah. I like the other characters. And you know, I forget Johnny's girlfriend's name, but apparently she's going to wear the the thing suit. So uh, you know, I'm 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 interested. Yeah, Darla I'm, Deering, Darla Deering, and I th- she's going to be like she thing Shing. Well, she, you know, it looks like she's just. You re- I don't know if you remember the old thing suit from you know in and around uh, issue 160. Yeah. Of, uh, I of do not Fantastic Four Volume One, but Ben Grimm had lost his powers, and so he still wanted to be on the FF. So Reed Richards built him a, a thing suit, which was essentially yep. you know armor sh- shaped like the thing. And that and it's looks come like back in. It's come back in a few times. Yeah. Anytime they lose their powers, they don't want people to realize they lose their powers, so the thing suit comes out. Right. And I I like that her name is Miss Thing. Yeah. Miss Thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. When you open the first page and it's got the. Uh, their names around there. She's listed as Miss Thing. That just that amuses me to no end. <laughs> yeah. So, Aaron. Sir. Last week, Captain America number one came out from Rick Remender and John Romita Jr. Yeah. What'd you think? You know what? I I, I picked up the book. You know because I I I I like Captain America in general. I I was trepidatious about it in that I had heard Rick Remender interviewed and he's like, yeah, we're, we're trying to, you know, restore Captain America, you know, and, and, and it bugged me because, you know, Brubaker has done nothing but uh, elevate Captain America over his uh, multi-year run. But, you know, I, 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 I came into it and I was also trepidatious about the art because, you know, while John Romita Jr. is an extraordinarily talented artist, his recent stuff has been so, so off the charts bad, in my opinion. Uh, I, I was very concerned about what the quality of the art was going to be. And so I was pleasantly surprised when uh, I read Captain America number one because the story was all there. Uh, 
and the artwork was beautiful. Yeah, but you know, I think it's got a lot to lot to do with the fact that Klaus Jansen's on the book with him. True, and I loves me some Klaus Jansen. You know, uh, I, I this is the I believe this is the same artistic team that did uh, Daredevil for so long with uh, Frank Miller, I believe. Um, I, I think so. Uh, you know, I just no, maybe that was David Masticelli. Um but I think John Romita Jr. was one of them. Well, I. Oh, they did uh, Daredevil, The Man Without Fear. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I just – I love the artwork on the book. You know, one of the things that bugged me about Romita's art uh, on his Avengers run is that his characters just seemed so wooden and blocky. And there's just so much, you know, movement. You know, there, there's there's so much there's so much dynamic on the page in this series uh, or in this this issue anyway. And I just thought that it was it was extraordinarily good. Yeah, they don't look like action figures. They don't no. look like fat action figures. Yeah, you know, they look like people. Yeah, um, you know, Captain America looks athletic, not bulky. Right. Right. And um, no, I, I, I actually it, loved this book. And I like the take on Arnim Zola. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I thought I, I love you know sometimes Arnim Zola just looks ridiculous and you know he 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 certainly looked uh, futuristic he looked you know it's kind of like that fifties view of the future you know mm-hmm. uh, and I just I, I kind of looked the like the kitschiness of the Arnim Zola design uh, I dug it I thought this book was fantastic yeah I I was very pleasantly surprised um, and it's very different from the Brubaker stuff. Uh, yes, very much so. It's very science fictiony. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like seventies yeah. Captain America. You know, like with Steranko, mm-hmm. you know, and these and these weird worlds and weird characters. Yeah. Like you said, the science fiction aspect that has not been America that much. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's had the fringe science stuff under Brubaker, but not. It hasn't gone this far into essentially Captain America's in an alternate universe. Yeah. Um, you know, with the the son of Arnim Zola. You know, with all these other creatures and stuff, and I just I enjoyed the hell out of it. I well, mean, it's, it's not something you see. It's not something we've seen in Captain America in a long time. Well, and Reminder uh, has engaged in a little bit of world building with uh, John Romita Jr. And so they've created this this other universe. Uh, what are they calling it? Dimension Z or something like that. Something like that. Um, and you know, it very much has that almost Flash Gordony kind of look to it. Yes. You know, they're, that's they're, a good comparison. Yeah, and. And it looks great. You, you've got you know flying cars, and you've got these sprawling cities, and these wild desert landscapes, and you know big action. It's it's like what if you dropped Captain America into the nineteen eighty Flash Gordon movie? That's what it's mm-hmm. like to me. Yeah, and I'm like fuck yeah, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I will is, read this a, book. Yeah, that is a very good. Um, description. Yeah. And it's so, probably exactly why this book just scratched me in the right place. Oh, yeah. I mean, and again, I this was probably the last book I read last week because I was just kind of dreading it, you know, because uh, while I love Rick Remender and I have I've got a tremendous amount of respect for John Romita, I was really worried about the art, you know, and I was really worried about the take on the character just based on some interviews that struck me wrong with Remender. But I got to tell you. You know, if he, I, I, I think he miscommunicated in what he was saying, because I, I think what he wasn't saying is that he was trying to elevate the character. I think they're just trying to show that Captain America can be more. You know, that, yeah, he, that, that this character can be. He doesn't have to be in the super spy and the, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, conspiracy theory kinds of stories. He can be in a science fiction story well as well. This character can fit multiple types of stories. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I really responded to in this is that he's still Steve Rogers. He's still the same guy that you read in the Ed Brubaker books, but they're just sh- demonstrating that he can be in any kind of story. Yeah, yeah. which I'm on board for this story. Absolutely. So another Marvel Now book that came out last week was Journey into Mystery 646. Not a number one, um, but a, a a rebranding of the series in that um, you know it's been Kid Loki's book for the last couple of years since Fear itself, I think. Yeah. Um, and now it is the Lady Sif's book. Um, I think written by Catherine Amonin. Catherine Amonin with art by Valerio Shitty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not S C H I T I. Shitty, I think, is the way that's pronounced. Um, uh, yeah, and and the artwork was anything but. Um, the artwork was fantastic in this book. Yes, absolutely. And I gotta say, I you know, the Lady Sif has always seemed kind of a boring character to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I and and this is awful to say, I know, uh, but I always found her the most interesting when she didn't have her shirt on. Um, <laughs> and, and and that's just saying that I just. Well, I just – I never felt like much was done with her character. You know, she was always extraordinarily noble. She was always the the girl at home that uh, Thor wasn't paying enough attention to. You know, uh, she was sh- – sure, she was a great warrior, but she seemed for many years to dovetail into that typical female character where she was just ancillary to the guy character, you know. And so I wasn't really sure how a journey into mystery – title anchored by Sif was going to work. And I got to say, I love this book and I loved what we got out of the character. I love that, you know, she rescues children from, from a burning building and, you know, she's like, well, that is entirely enough children time for me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that she is a warrior born. She doesn't want to hang out with the kids. Um, you know, it, th- there was a nice juxtaposition where she's visiting with Volstagg's wife and you know Volstagg's wife is very, you know, very much a a domestic person. You know, she's the woman who stays home, takes care of the kids, and Sif is somebody who can just barely stand to be around the kids, and you know wants to go off and slay dragons. You know, and then we discover what she's on about in this book because she's she has identified that that Asgard has lost what what makes Asgard Asgard, and so she goes off to find the secret of the Berserker Rage. I got to tell you, this book is going somewhere dark, and I am excited about it. I, I don't ah, – all right. I'll buy the next issue. <laughs> did I sell you on the book even though you didn't like it? <laughs> I didn't dislike it, and I, I did like the book. I just – you know, with – now with Hulk and Captain America and all these books coming out that have – that are – better quality than their previous runs and that have interested me. And so I'm picking up more titles and I was looking for titles to drop and journey into mystery while not bad. I didn't love it enough to continue with it. Yeah. And it felt like, okay, this is a book I can swap out with something else. Mm -hmm. Well, I got to say, I like this book better than Thor God of Thunder. So, well, let's, let's kind of talk about these two hand in hand then because Thor God of Thunder number two came out. Right. Um, which I enjoyed a heck of a lot more than I enjoyed issue one. I, I, I agree with that. And maybe it was because of the singular focus on one storyline right. rather than jumping around into three different 
stories or three different time periods. And there were some breathtaking pages by Isad Ribic. Um, the, I mean, the, the artwork in this book was just outstanding, but Agreed. I, I don't think this book has a heart, <laughs> you know, there, no, I agree. there it, is I, not it, an emotional center to this book that makes me want to come back and read it. And I, I could just, while I thought the pages were very pretty between, uh, past Thor fighting the God butcher, I just didn't care. You know, and that's something I was just thinking about when you were talking about journey into mystery. It very much bugs me that Thor's alter ego who's still around hmm. has been ignored for years, almost yeah. almost entirely ignored since J. Michael Straczynski was on the book. Yep. And But, you know, I mean, J. Michael Straczynski set up Jane was still there. Yep. What is Thor's alter ego's name? Donald Blake. Donald Blake. Dr. Donald Blake. You know, those characters were very much a part of Straczynski's run. Yep. And, you know, they were they were. They had appearances in Fractions Run, mm-hmm. but essentially those storylines have entirely been dropped during the past you know, couple of years, and it looks like now they will continue to be dropped as Jason Aaron delves into just a Thor book. You know, he's not going to turn into Donald Blake um, you know, when he's fighting the God Butcher. Well, and you know, keep in mind that the Marvel Now books are more and more beca- looking like the you know, movie world. Yeah. And we didn't get to see a Donald Blake in the in the Thor movie or the Avengers movie. You know, there there was a passing reference to, you know, my ex my ex boyfriend's name was Donald Blake and here are some of his clothes. Um but you know, Thor doesn't have a secret identity in those movies. So I think that I think it's a weak but I think as a comic book I agree. I, I yeah. think that is a missing element of the Thor book and of the, the Sith book. Well, and I think that's why I don't I, – while I think that the the pages are just beautiful in, in the Scott of Thunder book, I like a Thor story where the, he – I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I enjoy the cosmic stories for Thor. But I generally like a cosmic story for Thor where he's dragging somebody along with him who you know is providing a more human aspect to it. You know, yeah, Straczynski did such a wonderful job of that with his relaunch. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad they didn't do Donald Blake in the movie because I think there was too much they needed to introduce. It just wasn't necessary for a movie. But I agree with you; it's something I would want in the comic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I the uh, I think that that what I am missing in this God of Thunder book, as much as I, I think the, the artwork is very pretty, I think it's well written, but there is not an emotional center to the book because okay. I don't I don't care about you know. Thor being a petulant young god and that Thor, you know, we all know that Thor is heroic in the present day and, you know, he, he grows into something that looks very much like Odin in the far future. That's all very interesting, but if there's not an emotional center to it, I don't care. And that's where I'm at with Thor, God of Thunder issue two. And I agree with you. Um, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Thor, God of Thunder in what I feel is probably the ideal format, which is the beautiful hardcover. No, (laughs) not Pirate Bay. (laughs) Which is the beautiful hardcover that will be released after the first storyline. Sure, yeah. Yeah, I think Uh, I'm out for issue three. I I, I really, really strongly enjoyed Journey into Mystery with Sif. I did not get the same kind of enjoyment out of these two issues of God of Thunder, and I think I'm just going to cut it loose. Yeah, I think I am, and I, I am going to pick up the trade of it. I am, because I, yeah. I think it's a, a beautiful book. I think as a fantasy book, it will read really well in trade. Yeah. Um, but I do think I'm out as far as it being a monthly title. Like I said, I'm looking to drop things, and uh, you know, Thor God of Thunder seems like one to drop. Well, let's talk about a book that, in my opinion, continues to just rock. 
and that is All New X-Men by Brian Michael Bendis, Stuart Amonin, and funny book fan favorite, Wade Von Graubadger. Yes. Graubadger. Graubadger. Again, I mean, I I think we just should take it as accepted anytime Stuart Amonin does anything. Beautiful book. Yeah. I mean, the guy is just – he has not done a bad book in years, so – I'm I'm well. I mean, he, he has not done a poorly drawn book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you know, I, I was looking at it last night and looking at the real estate on the page. Amonin is filling every panel. You are getting a sense of the space, like you know the scenes inside uh, the event, the um, X Men Mansion of the past. You know, he has provide this spectacular detail in the background of uh, of the mansion and so you're you're getting that that sense of space and time um he's done a terrific job of drawing these guys where you feel that they're young you know that they 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 have that that innocent that innocence about them you know and then you you throw them up against the current day x-men and uh, the, the contrasts are so stark i just absolutely love it yeah. yeah, what I was wondering about was the because I haven't read like Wolverine and the X Men and a lot of the the more modern X books. When they pop into the future and you see the modern, you know, Jean Grey school, I didn't realize it looked like that. Yes, like with yeah. big floating things above it and big towers, and I thought it was just a recreation of the mansion. No, no, it's a very futuristic school, um, paid for by. Uh so Warren Worthington has allowed his finance students from the school to take over Worthington Enterprises, and they are making enough money to to pay for the school. Um, and the grounds of the school are actually Krakoa, the living island or whatever. Right. So it's actually a the ground itself is a living being. So wow. it, it's a great concept. I love. Wolverine. It's not just a living being; it's a mutant. Yes. Right. So well, I, the school is still in the same place that the original one yeah, was, right? Yeah, it's still in right. Westchester. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They just plopped an island on it? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, apparently they had to do some grading and, uh, you know, some leveling. But uh, <laughs> 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 but I, the, I, I thought the book was beautifully drawn. And I got to say, I thought, the, I thought the book was very well written as well. I, I was thoroughly entertained throughout this book. You know why? Because it's Brian Michael Bendis' strength, yeah. <laughs> which is character beats, yeah, with with sporadic action. It's not. It wasn't a nonstop action book. Yeah, yeah. I love that they're finally getting to what I've been expecting all along, and that's the X Men from the past are taking off on their own. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think that's that's to. where the magic of this book is going to happen. Is with them those guys going out there and confronting you know the the current day Marvel universe. Uh, I I thought the scenes where you know they broke it to Scott that you know uh, he killed his future self kills Charles Xavier and you know the just how struck by that past Scott is I thought was beautifully handled. Yeah, and I love Gene's reaction to why is the school named after me? Yeah, well, and uh, you know it's it's striking that the you know in. In the past, she can't read people's minds, but the minute she arrives in the current day, uh, she can read people's minds. Yeah, I think part of it was she didn't know she could. Yeah, I think she could have. She could have at any time once she knew how. Yeah. But that part of her mind's been shut off. Yeah. No, I'm digging it. I, I think this is a very well well executed book. And hey, it came out on time. Yeah, and it seems like issue three is going to be out 
I believe next week. Yeah, it's it, it came out on time. It was it you, it has a consistent uh, artistic perspective through it. Everything looks like it was drawn on time as scheduled, wasn't rushed. Uh, I think it's just a beautiful book. I've just, I feel. Are you indicating like, that there's another Marvel book that can't say all of those things? Well, let's just say that Uncanny Avengers number two was a was three ninety nine worth of ass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because I love John John Cassidy. I really do. I thought his work on Astonishing X Men was brilliant. This book sucked. The, his artwork in the book, I mean, looked like thumbnails. You know, I mean, it, it was terrible. I'm sorry, it was terrible. Captain America looks like he's wearing somebody else's clothes. Um, when you see ha- on any page where you see havoc, um, it looks like s- some other artist came in and just doodled on the page. And let's let's also remind folks that the book did see like a three week delay. Yeah, and well, the, odd, the odd thing is when I look through all of the pages with like Rogue and uh, Wanda, uh-huh. I think the art is great on those yeah, pages. I agree. I agree. But, uh, you know, particularly there's that close up uh, towards the end of the book where where Red Skull has manipulated Wanda's mind and she says, yes, I can do it again. And she's just has that malevolent and evil look about her. Uh, very yeah. well done. But there are the splash page and, and, and the opening of the book should have been spectacular. And it looked like somebody in an Art 101 class drew it. I mean, it is awful. There is this, you know, big speech by Thor at the bottom of that page, and, which is well written, but the artwork is so poor, you, it's hard to it's hard to accept. Yeah, and on one of the last pages too, you've got uh, Rogue kind of bent over and crying, and you have this scene where the uh, her hood's covering like half her face. That's beautiful art. Yeah. It's like he, he's really hitting it out of the park on these close-up female face shots. Yeah. But I agree. The rest of it doesn't hold up with what we're seeing on those pages. Yeah. I feel bad for Rick Remender because I feel like he's writing a very strong story here. Um, I just think that they have paired him with an artist who can't deliver on a, on a deadline, and it's hurting his story. Well, I will say I feel like the story was better in this issue than it was in the first issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do feel like the story has taken a step in the right direction because those villains in the first issue were just horrible. And they're in the second issue, but the focus is less on them. Right. Um, the dialogue got better. I, I just I enjoyed the, this issue more despite the art issues. Yeah. I, I, I'm, but I'm hesitant. I am hesitant to continue with this series. I, I, I'm, I'm right there with you, Paul, because I'm like, God, I feel like I really need to be reading this book. But I, I feel like I threw three ninety nine away this week. This See, is a book me, where I would split the price, and someone gets the digital code, and I get the print copy, or vice versa. Then I could justify this. I, I, I will make that deal with you, Paul. Done. Oh, say so I, I plan on continuing to buy it because I'm really enjoying the story. So I have no problem at all, you know, continuing to buy it. I won't redeem any of my digital codes, though. Huh? Huh? So, Aaron, we may be out of this deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll talk offline. Yeah. There's plenty of time to talk because it's not like this book's coming out next month. <laughs> That's true. I don't think the next issue comes out till January. God, it's just it's not worth it for me. It's not worth the delays. It's not worth the four bucks. Yeah. Considering there, are, I mean, again, there, Marvel now has putting out some quality work. Yeah, I mean, by so, and large, the the Marvel Now books have been very strong. This is yeah. this this which is supposed to be a flagship title mm-hmm. for Marvel Now is so poorly done, and I just don't. 
You and everybody on this podcast, everybody in the hearing of this podcast knows that John Cassidy cannot deliver a monthly book. What the fuck were they thinking? Yeah. You know, and here's and the thing. I like the story. The story yeah. is so good. Yeah. I want this book to come out on time, and it's not. It's already not happening. Yeah. I think he's only supposed to be on for the first story arc, and I don't know how long that is, but could he not have – you should have given him more lead time. Well, and I think the problem is, is they gave him as much lead time as they could. You know, because yeah. they wanted all these books to come out at the same time. But I think you've got to look at – you have to stop being dazzled by the marquee value of somebody. You know, and, and Cassidy is very much a cover artist. You know, that is that is his strength, and that's what you have him do. You have him do covers. Um, he – as much as I enjoyed him in Astonishing X-Men, there was a reason why that book was so delayed. You know, I, I – I just think it's gross mismanagement. Whoever made the decision to do this, and I know that somebody was like, we'll sell a ton of books if, if Cassidy's doing them. But you got to look at fan abrasion. And you know, for, the, for people who are enjoying the story to be saying, I think I'm out on issue two. Because it, of your superstar artist. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it just I, – it is so short-sighted. You know? It's just so short-sighted. Yeah. And it's and it's what erodes your fan base when you look at all these new people who are into comics now. You know, uh, comics has in 2012, comics has enjoyed a, a year better than than any year in probably the last five. And you've got to keep these guys coming back on a regular schedule. I, I, it's it's a it's a huge mistake. It's a huge mistake. Yeah, and it's something that DC didn't do. Yeah. You know, that, that's one thing that the New 52 did right, which yeah. is timeliness. They laid down the law and said, if you can't get your books out, you're not going to be drawn for us. You're not yeah. going to be writing for us. Yeah. I think the only book that was delayed in the first couple of months of New 52 was Justice League by a week. And it was a printing issue, not a Jim Lee issue. Right. So, you know, if Jim Lee can get a book out. <laughs> I, I, all it takes is management. It only takes people saying, look, if you want to work in this business, you got to be on time. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the that's the long and the short of it. If you can't deliver a book on time, let's talk about OGNs. You know, uh, and, and still you've got a deadline there, but at least you're you're delivering the whole story when you finally deliver the whole story. And we talked a little bit about that previously. Um, you know, about how these superstar artists, guys like Jim Chung, mm -hmm. uh, John Cassidy, um, Olivier Copiel, you know, these guys who can't get a monthly book out on mm -hmm. time, perfect for OGNs. Yeah. And you want your OGN sales to increase? Put these guys on the OGNs. Yeah. Or put them on the five-week month books. Yeah. You know? you know, when you've got a five-week, give that to him. He's got a whole quarter to work on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, and I think that should be an OGN. Yeah. I mean, something yeah. like that. You know, I don't know. But it's uh, it seems like a it, – it's sad because it is their flagship title. It is the one it that is. they announced. But it doesn't feel like it either. Um. And I don't know if it's just because of the delays or because of the team or what, you know. But it feels like there are other books more vital to the universe than this one. Yeah, yeah. I'm I was I'm disappointed because I, I I am enjoying the story, but uh, you know I'm going to need some higher quality art. Just going to well, need it. If you're looking for quality, next week Avengers from Jonathan Hickman comes out. I am psyched for this book. It's going to be good stuff. Also, all new X Men number three. Woo! Amazing Spider Man six ninety nine. Woo! Yeah. Uh, Before Watchmen, Minutemen number five. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Haw <laughs> uh, Hawkeye number five. Woo! Thunderbolts number one. Eh, I'm gonna pick up. Are you gonna? Is no one gonna pick up Thunderbolts with me? I'm kind of done with Thunderbolts. If Red Hulk wasn't on it, I would pick it up because I like. Oh wait a minute! This is the new team, isn't it? Yeah. 
I'm written by Daniel Way, Red Hulk, Punisher, Deadpool. Yeah, I think I'm gonna Electra. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I was. I, I, I like the, the idea of Punisher, Deadpool, and Electra all on a team, but the Red Hulk really kills it for me. I hate that character. Rogue. It's also got Steve Dillon art. I've been a fan of his since Preacher. Very exciting. Yeah, and um, so Aaron, sir, I have a question for you about next week. Yes, sir. Hellboy in Hell, number one. Ooh. Are you picking it up or are you waiting for the trade? I, You know, I read uh, Hellboy exclusively in trade. Okay, well, there's your answer. There's my answer anyway. Yeah. Because yeah, it's, it's, Mike, it's Mike Mignola's return to yeah. drawing and writing the character. I, I love Hellboy. Hellboy is one of my favorite characters, but I, I, I read him far too often to buy the floppies. You know, I go back to those Hellboy books all the time. Yeah. All right. Well, that answers my question. Yes, it does. It, it does answer the question. <laughs> I think Hellboy probably should only come out as trades, to I be agree. honest with you. I Not completely trades, agree. Because that OGN they did last year mm-hmm. with the Richard Corbin art. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. I love me some Richard Corbin. Me too. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, okay. So uh, I think we're done. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> you guys have a good week. Bye. <laughs> Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. 